Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, consolidation back on the agenda for airlines, Lufthansa moves on to the front foot, and Saudi fast-tracks hub ambitions. Plus, are airlines making any headway in improving female representation in the C-suite? My name's Graham Dunn, and uh, joining me as ever is Airline Business Editor, Lewis Harper. Hi, Lewis. Hi, Graham. How are you? Yes, it's been a, a busy few weeks as we ramp up for the summer to come, the start of the summer season, and uh, it, it feels like there's quite a lot happening now in this industry. Yeah, I mean, I was out of action for a couple of weeks, and coming back, certainly a few few stories have moved on. Um, you mentioned consolidation, and I think it's a, an area we knew would be of interest, particularly coming out of COVID. Um, but even though I was off for a couple of weeks, you know, you, you still get a sense that you know, stories move on pretty slowly. So we've got plenty of things that have been announced in terms of carriers um, joining forces, but but not necessarily um, solid progress. And that is not new, that historically, obviously, the airline industry for reasons of national interest, the fact that cross-border um, arrangements, things like this, make it, make it very difficult for consolidation to happen. But yeah, and that hasn't changed. And I think um, while there are bits and pieces happening, obviously, there's a way to go with a lot of them, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting, actually, is that quite a few of the consolidation stories we've seen a bit of movement on in, in recent weeks are things that have been in the pipeline, you know, for some time. I mean, in fact, a potential tie which seems to be back on the cards, which is between uh, Spanish regional air Nostrum and Irish, um, this kind of a wet lease operator, these say CityJet. And that was agreed in 2018 and uh, or first agreed in 2018. And that had appeared to, you know, not very much had happened with that as far as we could know. And then suddenly that merger, um, they've managed to get European approval for again, suggesting that something is happening on that again. You know, with Air Europa and uh, IAG, which has been this on-off, <laughs> this on-off potential deal, which is 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 back on now, it seems. Yeah, so we know that, that some IAG's um, first attempt to acquire Air Europa met with some yeah, regulatory challenges with the EU. There's a new deal in place now, and and obviously the the IAG and Air Europa believe that the Globalia, sorry, um, Air Europa's owners believe they can get this one over the line. Um, so it'd be one to watch closely. Clearly, a big issue um, with this type of acquisition. Now IAG already a big presence in the Spanish market with Iberia and and Vueling particularly. You know, is is competition concerned? So. Um, you know, Air Europa, a uh, significant presence in Madrid, and I think IG clearly would like a stronger foothold there. So, you know, it's something to watch, but but there is some some belief that this time they they can get it over the line. But you know, we have heard that before. I think with with other deals. Yeah, and you know, another one which uh, has been you know there is still progress on, which is uh, and and this illustrates the kind of international nature of the business because because it's a. a you know, a domestic tie-up in theory between Korean Air and Asiana, which is kind of a product of consolidation coming through the pandemic. But that, that acquisition, acquisition requires all manner of international approvals because of all the different international markets, you know, the two long-haul operators uh, that it touches on. So, you know, there's an agreement that's been reached now with the UK authorities, and, and that could potentially pave the way for slots being freed up for Virgin start routes on the, uh, operating on that London uh, London Seoul route. But there remain, you know, there's still, you know, one or two more bits 
of the uh, approvals required on that. So trying to make any merger happen or acquisition happen is is a long path. And IAG chief executive uh, Luis Gallego, you know, when he was talking about, you know, he said the sort of greater certainty in terms, I think, about it, talking a little bit about the market and what the deal could bring in terms of that merger. But he acknowledges, you know, that it's another 18 months probably before things will work its way through. So, you know, that's a way off. And then we've seen notably in in Colombia where Viva has been looking to tie up with uh, Avianca as part of a, Avianca's wider consolidation moves there through the Abra Group. And Viva was forced, has been forced to suspend operations and it cited the delays in the in securing the regulatory approval for that, which illustrates, you know, how challenging it can be to get those mergers and the impact impact if you don't get them. Precisely. And then you look to um, a story that has been rumbling on for, for a long time now, where it feels like a long time, is obviously Spirit in, in the US. And again, in this case, obviously Spirit and JetBlue, both US operators, but again, big big regulatory hurdles there and already um, you know, government departments suing to, to stop the deal um, in, in recent weeks and days. Yeah, as you say, the airline industry is not easy at all in terms of getting these deals over the line. And um, us covering them, you obviously, when the deal is reached, like when JetBlue eventually um, forced Spirit Hand and and Frontier fell away, there's kind of a sense, well, you know, the deal's done now. But actually what's ahead is is a very long process. And, you know, the noises coming out of government in that case are not particularly encouraging. And I, I can understand some of the frustration for JetBlue, which is looking at the, the market as it stands, where three, four big consolidated players have, you know, 80% of the market in the US and saying, you know, how can you really object to these two smaller carriers combining? But, you know, there, there are concerns there over particularly Spirit's um, removal from the ultra-low cost market would, you know, arguably reduce competition in that sector, for example. So, yeah, it's um, incredibly complicated and um, um, th- these deals aren't done until they're done, I think it's fair to say. And that JetBlue spirit, the point you talked to it, uh, Robin Hayes, uh, Chief Executive for JetBlue, came out with uh, my favourite quote of the year uh, in the airline market, which is, this is not Pepsi buying Coke, <laughs> which uh, he's referring basically you know, a JetBlue and Spirit combined would have eight to nine percent of of the market. It is interesting how this market is is viewed. Things things are never quite as simple as that, but it 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 is a difficult market to make happen. Now, what's interesting with with, uh, with Viva and Colombia? There's news at literally as we speak that um, Colombian regulator might now have approved Avianca's uh, planned acquisition. There's a series of conditions attached to this. And I think, you know, what we're seeing with quite a few of these mergers, and, we'll, and you know, this will probably come into play with the IAG move for Air Europa, is in terms of uh, of getting that competition approval, it's, it's how much are they willing to give up in order to get the deal over the line and what kind of concessions they're prepared to make. So, you know, I think we will probably see more of that kind of stuff going through in order to to make consolidation happen, but it remains difficult to happen even within within the same borders. And there's plenty of other deals now ongoing. I mean, we see in India with the the bringing together the Air India banner with Vistara um, coming together on, on the network side and Air Asia India together with Air India Express on the low cost side. There's consolidation going on there. And there, there's other bits of consolidation in the works. 
There is plenty, yeah. And just on your point about the um, the concessions you have to give, I'm not even sure Virgin Atlantic wants to fly to to Seoul. But I guess the almost madness in in, in these types of situations is you'll get groups that are built up and you know have absorbed multiple carriers and then like we're seeing a small carrier will try to do it with another small carrier and yeah they're forced into concessions that at times can see seem slightly outsized but versus maybe what what else is going on competitively in the market so it's, yeah it's a really interesting one to watch and of course in europe again talking about other things that are happening um tap is um is very much in the spotlight I think it's fair to say now that all the big airline groups uh, have made comments suggesting that um, if that became available, then they'd be really interested. And um, yeah, a topic that you're, you've are you for a long time been very close to, of course, is is Italy and um, the situation at ETA. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a, a fascinating one. I've followed ETA's predecessor for many years and the various airlines that have attempted to make Alitalia work, um, Air France, KLM amongst them, Metihad, you know, there have been various airlines have, have attempted that before. Air France, KLM or consortium in which um, Air France, KLM and uh, Delta were involved, but not as from an equity perspective, for, but for as partners of the group had initially been, initially were in talks with the government that broke down the, the kind of talks then re, kind of revived and um and Lufthansa has emerged uh, and in January uh, entered exclusive talks uh, with ITA and for the recent issue of Airline Business I we interviewed uh, Carsten Spore and so the timing on that was very interesting for several reasons one of them being obviously ITA and I mean, it was really interesting to get his perspective on why the interest in ITA I mean the, you know Italy is it's not an easy market uh, historically for airlines to uh, to make a success of as as overseas investors but Italy is a a prime market for for Lufthansa its second most important market outside uh, the US and its home markets and, and in fact it has you know Lufthansa has a track record there it has a regional carrier northern european northern italian regional carrier Dolomiti it operates there uh, and it also briefly operated a subsidiary out of Milan Lufthansa Italia for a couple of years so you know it, it has shown interest it's always shown an interest in there but it's interesting looking at uh so the Lufthansa chief executive Carsten Sport was talking about the importance of Italy and a southern hub to its existing multi-hub system and um you know Lufthansa has you know five major major hubs in Frankfurt Munich with uh Lufthansa and then Zurich with Swiss and Vienna for Austria and Brussels Airlines for um, uh, Brussels for Brussels Airlines, oddly enough. Um, mm. But these are all quite sort of northern Europe or northern European facing, you know, very good for transatlantic and uh, and Asia. But for southern hemisphere states, it, you know, it's, it's a bit sort of harder if you want to serve, you know, South America in particular. You would be flying, you know, if they want to, Italian travellers, for example, would have to fly over Rome to go into the uh, one of the existing hubs and then backtrack. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of sense for Lufthansa having a Southern European base. Italy, obviously, Rome and ITA seems the prime example at the moment. Uh, but obviously, other options other options exist. Uh, uh, Spore was happy to to point out that he would take a look at TAP as he thought um, mm -hmm. others would do as well. But I think it's also quite interesting the. It's it is a long time since since Lufthansa uh, and in fact many of the the other airlines in Europe. It was a big consolidation spree about 10, 15 years or so ago. But since then, I mean, IAG I guess has brought in Welling and Aer Lingus during that period. But 
much of the development has actually been in starting or developing their own brands within it. We've seen Lufthansa developing Eurowings and the Discover business, IAG developing Level, um, Air France KLM, I guess, developing uh, the Transavia brands or building those out a little bit. But it's quite interesting to see this kind of almost another run to expand through acquisition, which is always, you know, never straightforward. It is additional <laughs> additional management work. But, you know, you could definitely, with Air Europa, with TAP, with ITA, you can see three carriers, all of which could end up in a um, in one of those groupings. Yeah, if you um, listen to Michael O'Leary at any point over the past few years, he's, he's very fond of saying that, you know, Europe is heading towards a situation where it has... You know, five big airline groups, so no similar vein to, to the US. But like you say, that the activity hasn't hasn't ramped up for a little while and we are beginning to see progress in that direction, I guess, with some of those kind of secondary carriers like in the TAP or ETA involved in, in, in talks or or certain just speculation about consolidation. And I think in 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 that space as well, I think it'd be interesting to see what happens on the low cost side in Europe, because you, you mentioned then the focus there has been in recent years on the big network groups also building up their low cost presence. But, you know, we saw speculation about a whiz bid for EasyJet about a year ago, I think it was now. Um, you know, there are suggestions that EasyJet might be of interest to some of these big groups as a way of, of kind of really establishing that that low cost present so there, there, there are things that can happen and if Michael earlier is were right there are things that will happen in the coming years that that will give that European industry a, a bit more of a kind of US style um, look to it. Michael O'Leary of course you know you, you go back to Ryanair's move to take over Air Lingus which you know appeared mm. quite, quite really just to be stirring and, and quite a cheeky <laughs> uh, a cheeky bid on um, uh, Ryanair's part on the one hand but they made this offer and that, you know, that was a point that O'Leary and Ryanair would make, uh, you know, had made at the time was that they were blocked. Ryanair and Aer Lingus was blocked, whereas a tie between Olympic and Olympic Air and Aegean uh, uh, came together and Aegean uh, doing pretty well these days. So it is interesting. Everything is about perspectives in terms, you know, the way regulators view markets and, you know, you could view it just in terms of one country or you could view it in terms of wider wider power, I guess. So, you know, consolidation is definitely one story to watch. You know, one of the other big stories which is which has happened in, in recent weeks, uh, or in the past week or so really has been in Saudi. And this and, and this isn't a surprise. Saudi's made no secret of its ambitions uh, to develop a aviation hub, but we are seeing much more evidence of what that might look like now. We are, and it's as you say, we we knew um, last year that um, Saudi Arabia made some big play of the idea that it was going to do this, or certainly gave a broad outline of what what it was hoping to do. I think obviously it's part of a much wider effort to um, diversify the the economy in the country and. Um, and as part of that, obviously, you know, with one eye on on the success that um, Dubai and um, uh, Qatar have had with their Hubbard carriers as well, I think the idea is to um, to massively expand the airline market in the country. On the one hand, with um, using existing assets like Saudia, which is largely based in, in Jeddah, but also the creation now of a of a new national airline in in the shape of Riyadh Air, and that's um, despite reports of the country appears to be uh, led by um, former Etihad chief Tony Douglas. 
so almost immediately after they announced uh, Riyadh Air would be starting up, there was a, a, a big wide body order placed or commitment with, with Boeing. Just the 121 in total. Yeah, yeah, they, they kept it light for the first order, but um, we'll see what happens next. So, yeah, you, you can't doubt the ambition. Now, we know that, and I just mentioned Etihad, and obviously um, they, they brought in the, a leader there who's got firsthand, very much got firsthand experience of the aftermath of kind of what could be argued to be the failure of a, the attempt to create a, a big hub carrier in, in the Middle East. So, yeah, we know that, that Emirates and Qatar Airways, you know, have made a success by number of measures of being big, you know, hub players in, in that region. You know, does it need another one? Well, well, we'll find out, I guess, because you know that is a lot of wide-body aircraft that um, are incoming for Saudi Arabia's airlines, and you know there'll be a, a big network will be needed to make use of them. So it's something to watch. It's interesting because it is—it's not a standing start, but certainly it's a wholesale change for that market if they're going to make it work. Um, yeah, they're talking a good game, and um, you know there's been interest from other carriers. So we know that Wizz Air. Um, has, has moved into that market. Um, we know that Jazeera, I think the the um, QAT carrier, is, is, is talk in talks to set up a low cost carrier in in Saudi Arabia. So there's expertise coming in from a number of places into the market, and it yeah, it's, it's going to be a really interesting one to watch. Yeah, I mean we've people twenty. 25 years now, almost 40 years ago now, we would have been saying the same about Dubai uh, with Emirates. And, you know, we obviously might have said similar things about Doha and when Qatar uh, began. And you look at how those markets have grown. And it is probably one of the things we are seeing out and about at the moment, you know, with the, the aircraft orders coming into India. There's a lot of aircraft going to be delivered to a lot of emerging markets or mm. from an aviation perspective. It's probably markets which which have only just begun to tap their potential, but it, you know the number of aircraft coming in going into those markets is is going to be huge, isn't it? It is, yeah. And like you say, the the potential is there. So you know these are markets that are relatively underserved. When you look at flights per capita, there, you know, India, Saudi Arabia, whatever, are quite low um, compared with with more developed markets. So there is a you know, in, in in both of those cases, there's a, a decent sized with India, potentially the biggest population in the world soon, of you know local people to to pay to travel on these aircraft, and that's undeniable. And and um, however uncomfortable some of these things may look in the context of sustainability, and 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 you know these huge huge growth markets, obviously you will need to have one eye on on that topic as as they bring in these aircraft and the industry, you know tackles how it addresses its its footprint while it's growing but you're right there there are markets to watch and um it's undeniable that on paper there's potential to grow there so after the break we're going to take a look at female representation among um senior airline leadership this is a, a topic that we have followed very closely over the past few years with a, a regular annual report and um, we'll uh, give you the update on uh, whether enough progress is being made after the break. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not sign up for our free weekly airline business briefing delivered direct to your inbox every Thursday. You can register to get our weekly briefings together with any of Flight Global's other newsletters for free at flightglobal.com forward slash newsletter. So welcome back. As mentioned before the break, a topic that we've been 
following uh, very closely over the years, and and Lewis, actually, I have to give you credit as as, as the man who is who has done a lot of the hard miles in trying to yeah, get some data really to measure and track how women are represented within the the senior leadership of of leading airlines. And our latest uh, report. It's just come out uh, this week, in fact, and um, there's a bit of progress, isn't there? There is, yeah. We, we've been doing this thing for six years now, and I think the um, the headline up to this year was always that the, the percentage of women uh, in the roles that we survey ticked up by one percentage point every year. Um, this year was the first year where that it didn't, so it was it was flat on um, the end of 2021. So the data we put out this year is for the end of 2022. But yeah, the the there is progress. Um, to, to to give some kind of context to that, um, when when I did the first survey in 2017, we basically surveyed the top 100 airlines and look at six of the same executive roles in each of them. And in 2017, 535 of those 600 roles were were taken by men, and 65 um, by women. So then that 65 equates to around 11 percent. It ticked up a percentage point every year. Every year, so yes, and and this year, um, the results were ninety-two women in the six hundred roles. So that's around fifteen percent. One caveat with that is that the six roles include HR director, where historically more women have tended to to be in that role. So if you remove HR director from from the survey, so that would be five hundred roles at the top one hundred airlines. It's around fifty um, women in those five hundred roles, so around ten percent. Um, so it's low and it's low against other industries. But this year there, there were um, some encouraging signs. And I think the chief executive role is the one where where the best news came, I think. Yes. And we've seen we have over the uh, not just over the past year, I'd say over the over the past couple of years or so, we have seen some quite high profile appointments at the at the top of airlines with you know a number of notable first first for countries uh, airlines in particular countries thinking about um like Pegasus and El Al in in Israel as as good examples where we've seen new leaders come in and i suppose the other thing to say about this is because the the sample size is relatively small in the number of female CEOs that we have at the moment Tracking it over a period of, of years is probably much more effective or a, a much clearer trend line than tracking it over one year because you only need a couple of people to leave or a couple of people to join to have maybe a bit of an outsized effect. But I guess that line has largely been going up over the years. It has. So, yeah, as a whole, it has. And you're right, I think, because one of the, the reasons, like you say, having several years worth of data is important is because yeah we're, we're very low based on some of these things so if you look at chief operating officers in the top 100 airlines for example it dropped from six to four this year so only four of the, the top 100 airlines had a, a female chief operating officer and you know it yeah the headline might be one year number of women leading airlines doubles but you know that number was as low as two i think at one point in one year in these surveys so yeah, you're right. Um, that it's really important to have several years worth of data to to get a true sense. But I think even with that in mind, this year is the chief executive part of it is is very strong. And I think notably, um, we I think there are twelve women leading airlines of in the top one hundred. Clearly, 
are still uh, you know, miles away from, from anything like parity, but it does place the airline industry pretty favourably against other industries. So you look at any survey, I think, from I looked at several from the, the big stock exchanges around the world, for example, where you know, it tends to be in the single figure, so 6-7% of CEOs being women. And, and this year, um, the airline industry is has been a standout, like you say, beyond the ones you mentioned. We've also got Stephanie Tully at Jetstar Group, um, Annette Mann at Austrian Airlines, and one or two others in, in acting roles. And we have had um, Christine Umio leaving TAP since the um, survey data was um, was firmed. But there are, you know, other movements happening that will probably um, offset that that loss um, as we look back on this year for the 2023 survey. So there, there is a really positive story there. And, and this is a, um, it's not just us kind of doing this um, on a whim, really, this is a big topic for the for the airline industry. So IATA speaks about it a lot. For example, it's got its own program called um, Twenty Five by Twenty Twenty Five, which has a range of is kind of a a way airlines get together that the signatories get together. I think it's about fifty percent of IATA's membership now get together regularly talk about it. It also contains targets around increasing the number of women in certain roles by twenty five percent or to twenty five percent of the total. Um, so it's it's a big deal and and you know the industry, as I say, it's slightly disappointing this year that that overall the the percentage of of, of women in in those six hundred roles didn't tick up for the first time. It did go up in absolute numbers by by two, but I, it, you can just about say that the industry is still on the right track. And I suppose one key thing that always comes out when you you talk to people about this topic and you hear people speak about it is. In order for change to happen, you need to have more women in those top roles. And and one thing's for sure, you know, last year there were six women in last year's survey leading airlines. This year there are 12. You would hope, you know, the momentum that brings and, and the examples that shows to women, you know, in other roles at the airline mean that it has a real positive effect on the data going forward. Are there, are there any airlines or areas who are sort of overperforming, I guess, in this regard? Or overperforming isn't quite the right, right word, is it? But people who are no. sort of really leading this in this sector. Yeah, I think one that stood out this year and, sorry, last year and this year is, is JetBlue in the US. So, and I think a lesson from JetBlue is, and we've mentioned Robin Hayes already on this pod, but he, he has spoken about how this is, is not happened by accident. They, mm. They've made it a priority and and made sure there are ways for women to make their way up through the organisation. And, you know, while this survey is very much focused on the C-suite, they're also doing a lot to increase um, female representation at other levels of the business. And obviously, there's a hope that that naturally means more women make their way through the top. So so JetBlue are a really strong performer. And as I say, they're the only airline in the top 100 where four of the survey roles, so more than 50%, were were taken by by women, which um yeah they're the only airline to have to have achieved that in all of the surveys done. So in in six years of surveys, they're the only ones to achieve that. There there are a few airlines, a handful that have uh, three women out of the six positions, including I think Southwest and Cathay Pacific are an interesting example because the Asia region is not a strong performer and certainly wasn't this year in in terms of the gender mix of its carriers. Australasia is, a, is an exception in, in, in that region, though there are some really strong stories there. I think Qantas is well known as a, as a carrier. I've already mentioned Stephanie Tully, a, a jet star there. But also, obviously, Virgin Australia has a, has a female chief executive in 
in Jane Herdlicker. But they also contribute, you know, their New Zealanders as well, contribute across the C-suite, quite a few of um, the Asia-Pacific regions, and women in executive roles. And indeed, without the, the Australasian carriers, um, the Asia-Pacific regions' results would have been a, a bit bleaker, I think, um, it's fair to say. So so there are some there, there are some strong performers in, in this regard. And just, um, you know, <laughs> a question you'll often get when you talk about this is, you know, and I don't necessarily agree with where the question's coming from. I'm not suggesting that, but, you know, why does this matter? Mm. And I think, um, you know, the fact is that businesses that have diverse leadership teams, evidence shows they tend to perform better. You know, the airline industry serves as many men as women, uh, as it does women. And I think, you know, if, if you've got a team dominated by men, you're not going to be, for a start, not again, representation for voices for that, you know, what is probably half of your customer base. But also, you know, in the way businesses are run, the, the, the diversity of voices just, just helps so much. And as I say, evidence suggests it makes for a better business. But also, I mean, I, I also talked about this over the Global Media Day. There's also a recognition among the next generation of travellers that they value giving money to businesses that actually think about diversity and, and have showed strong progress on it. So it's not just about the internal you know, operations of the business. It, it is becoming a theme that a potential passenger might might look more favourably on a business if they know that they've got you know, really strong female representation, you know, at, at the top level. So it is a topic that will continue to be important, and it's certainly not just an arbitrary thing. I think you know the airline industry has long recognised it needed to do more, and it is starting to. I think that's still the the headline. There's a long way to go, but more and more airlines are signing up for IATA's initiative, and the growing roll call of women at the top of airlines is is I think. A really positive thing and something that that will hopefully have a ripple effect through the the rest of the business. Yeah, I can't recommend uh, enough taking a look through the article. We'll provide the link in the podcast notes, uh, which you'll see available on flightglobal.com. But um, it, it is fascinating seeing that progress, especially looking at it over a period of time. Which you know, when we started the survey six years ago these were arbitrary figures they were just a kind of a starting point but now there's a kind of wealth of evidence you can start to see trends emerging the charts and graphs you've lovingly created probably come <laughs> far far more far more easily than uh, though i'd be impressed by how you've uh, put it together in words yeah no it's um i think yeah as you say we'll put a link to the article but hopefully it tells the story i've tried to um it's so much data you get from this, but I've tried to kind of display it in chart form wherever it feels relevant. There's some interesting stuff around which regions are particularly strong. So North America leads by quite a significant distance in terms of you know the proportion of, of women in top roles. But there's some interesting quirks within that. So in North America, the, the overall results are encouraging, but there's only one female chief executive in that region at um, Anik Gerard at um, Air Transat, whereas you look at Europe and it's um, probably in second place, I think, in terms of the, the strength of, of the regions, but it contributes more than half of the female chief executives at seven, I think, of the 12 in the globally. So, and as I say, within Asia Pacific, you know, the Australasian carriers are really strong performers. So, so some really interesting data there, I think, that hopefully you, you can get stuck into if you really want to um, on our website and in the, the new issue of Airline Business. Excellent. Okay, I think we'll leave it there. Lewis, thank you for your time. Cheers, Graham. As we mentioned, you can uh, find links to not just the uh, C-Suite Diversity article, but um, all the other articles that we've referenced in the podcast notes and on uh, flightglobal.com. 
And of course, you can keep up to date with all our news and coverage, including news from the upcoming uh, Airlines for Europe event, which will be at in Brussels. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you again next time. <laughs>